Throwdown Thursday podcast. I am your host, Patrick Rahal, but you can call me Patsy the Angry Nerd. And uh, we are broadcasting here live, well, live for us, recorded for you, live from uh, the Pat Cave, deep within Magenta Manor. And uh, we are brought to you by Deadly Grounds Coffee, because we are part of the Dorkening Network. And I am joined, of course, by my co-host on the show and my co-host in life. She is the Baroness of Bordeaux, the Countess of Cabernet, the Mistress of Merlot, the Real Housewife of Transylvania, the Michael Phelps of Wine, the Queen of the Monsters, and an honorary Lizzie, ladies and gentlemen... Ashes von Nightmare. <laughs> the queen of the monsters. I was trying. I was on a roll. I thought I had it. And I... Be there, we there, we quiet. Yeah, but if you if you if you the have queen a queen of the monsters, you generally don't turn M's into W's unless they're upside down. In which case, uh, yes, yes, you do. What are you doing? I had to fix my microphone. Playing jump rope with your microphone? Well, my microphone cord was stuck under the cord for my uh, for the mixer, and I didn't want to pull on the cord and yank the mixer out, and then we have all kinds of shenaniganizings. This is riveting radio. It is. It's the best. Uh, it's the best riveting radio that you'll ever rivet. That's what rivet, a, rivet. Uh, yeah, I was going to say. That's what a, a construction rivet. frog does. Construction frogs rivet. Bud. Why? Cores. <laughs> Anybody gets that reference, you get a million points. Um, so today, we are going to be discussing uh, the pride of uh, Calumet. Uh, we're going to be discussing Jake and Elwood Blues, the Blues Brothers, because uh, Ash has just watched this for the first time. Well, you started watching it. The other night, we were just like, hey, let's watch mm-hmm. some movies, and we watched Inner Space, which was fucking awesome. I love Inner Space. I haven't seen it in years. That was, it was, it was good. It was funny. I like Martin Short. And then we watched uh, The Blues Brothers, or we started to, but Ashes started falling asleep because she is just like working nine million hours a week, and she was very, very tired, and she needed to rest, and she fell asleep. Dolly Parton is working nine to five. I'm working like nine to eight nine. To yeah, long nine. Yeah, long ten. Long hours every day. So yeah, you you needed some rest, and even though it was a fun movie, you fell asleep. And again, riveting radio. Yeah. <coughs> yes. Um. So the main premise of the beginning of the film is they have to get the band back together. They're so, on a mission from God. We're on a mission from God. So you came up with a very interesting getting into character question. Yeah, so our getting into character question is getting the band back together. Which band do you wish would get back together? Now, they could have broken up on their own. They could be broken up because one of the members have passed and they've decided that they are no longer going to play. Or, you know, you could say, I want this band to get back together with the original members. You know, some bands go through quite the lineup change. Yeah, there's there's a lot of different ways to interpretate interpretate interpret this. Oh god. <laughs> <sighs> Maybe I need to use the sleep. Uh there's a lot of different ways to interpret this. Um so I it's not really a band. Well, cuz it's not just yeah, so it it doesn't have to necessarily pertain to bands per se. 
But, but I would, musical acts, groups. I would love to have Soundgarden back together because it would mean Chris Cornell wasn't dead. Well, see, it's funny that you say that because one of my choices is Audio Slave. Ah, okay. That's a good one, too. I love Audio Slave. Now, Soundgarden is great. And I'm a, I'm a um, casual fan of Rage Against the Machine. I, I like them a little bit. Not a lot. I'm not like a huge fan of them, but if their song comes on the radio, there's a chance I might not change the station. Yeah, I was never a big uh, right. Rage like I wouldn't. Guy. I never. I never sought them out, but like I don't hate them. Right. Yeah. They, <laughs> they have some. If that makes any sense, you know, like they I, have some I, good songs, but I'm not going to be like, oh, check out my Rage album that I just bought. You know, like. Right, like I, I never, you know, went out of my way to listen to them, but at the same time, if they were on, you know, I, I, I wouldn't, I didn't, I did not, I didn't not like it, um, but Audio Slave, oh, there was something about them that it, it, Chris Cornell's vocals mixed with Tom Morello's guitar was just, oh, it, it, yeah. it was just. It, magic. It was just magic, it, and, and you know, they put out that one album. That was just one hit after the other after the other. Yeah. And I wish I'd had the opportunity to see them live, and I didn't. And, you know, it, it, they were kind of together for pretty much that one album. Hmm. You know, it was almost like a jam session type thing. They got together, they made some music, and, you know, they kind of... Parts of the band would get together every now and then to do something, but, you know... It, it was just, it was so good. Yeah, and <clears throat> Cornell was one of those guys that, you know, he had such a unique, distinctive voice, uh, and he was so good. I mean, you know, he was like, also in <clears throat> Temple of the Dog with Eddie Vedder. Mm, which is another, and I don't like Pearl Jam, but I do like Temple of the Dog. Mm. Yeah, it's one of those, like, super groups, you know, that they came up with. It's like, um, is it Them Crooked Vultures with uh, Dave Grohl and Josh Homme, and mm -hmm. I forget who else is in it. I just remember those two guys. Or Velvet Revolver, mm, with, which is uh, another one on my list, with Scott Weiland. Yeah, STP. And uh, Wunderschlausch. Wunderschlausch. <laughs> um, <clears throat> see, I thought you were going to go, because, you know, sticking with this same vein... I would love to see a Queen reunion. Oh, I mean, like, I feel like that's almost low-hanging fruit. You know, like, Queen, absolutely. I would love to see Freddie Mercury, like, live. Mm. You know, and not just tapes of him. You know, recordings of, of the original lineup of Queen playing. You know, like, I would, I would absolutely love to see them back in their heyday. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, um... You know, it's funny. We used to watch uh, Michael Jackson concerts when we were kids. You know, we'd watch some of the stuff that they had or some of his videos, and they would be um, there would be these these people like, especially up in the front, like screaming and crying and losing their mind because they were just so so like moved and like they were getting to see Michael Jackson and like I think if that. If I had gone to a Michael Jackson concert, you know, that would have been me. I would have been, I would have been one of those girls. You I would have, have <laughs> I would have, I would have been a screaming, oh my God! crying mess. Michael Jackson, touch my hand. Dude, I would lose my mind if that shit happened. 
especially now. Um, another one for me, and this is going to be uh, a little flighty, but the Spice Girls, the original mm. lineup of the Spice Girls. So there have been talks of four of them getting back together and going on tour and doing this whole thing. And they did temporarily get back together uh, a couple years ago when the Olympics were in London, I yes. think. Um, they did a whole performance thing for the um, opening, opening ceremonies. ceremonies. I was going to call it the torch thing, but I knew there was a, a yeah. more appropriate. There's a more official name for it. For that, um, so they were involved in that, and but they never like really all five of them have. They haven't gotten back together. And Victoria Beckham's like, well, I do clothing now, so I'm too good for you guys. Like I don't need this money. And mm -hmm. it's like it's not about the money though like get back together for your fans i was too young when they came like my parents didn't want to take me to go see the spice girls and that was really the only way i was going to be able to get to a concert at that point is if my parents took me so i never got to see them like i was in pre-middle school slash middle school when they came out so yeah. I never had the opportunity to see them and I just think it would be really cool to to do that. Girl I agree. power. I was going to ask you who the lone holdout was, but you already uh um you know there's a lot of bands that you know broke up for different reasons and it was kind of dumb that they broke up, you know, like Oasis, not that I care about them getting back together, but um there's, you know, most of the time, you know, with the bands that... But I mean, like, sometimes if they break up, you know, some bands break up because the members want to go on and do other things. Yeah, like the Beatles. You know, and that's fine. You know, it's almost like an amicable breakup. Like, maybe we'll get back together at some point, but I kind of want to do my own thing. I'll support your career from afar, but, you know, we need to... It's almost like you, you kind of outgrow the band in yeah, a sense. Yeah, you, you have to move on to your and own thing. And then you have the instances, kind of like Oasis, where egos are involved. Mm -hmm. And the ego outgrows the band and kind of leaves all of this destruction in its path. And then, obviously, you know, there's there's death. Like Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Led Zeppelin has not played together since their drummer died. Yeah, John Bonham. Yeah, that was like, going to be that you know, was going to be one of my They've kind of uh done some stuff with Jason his son but the original like Led Zeppelin lineup Page and Plant you know like you know Robert Plant has done stuff on his own oh yeah he did like that whole that whole thing where he was like guest guest spotting on he did a whole album with Alison Krauss mm, yeah 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 which I'm not really into country at all but that album was fantastic Alison Krauss is uh, one of the uh, major contributors to the Oh Brother Where Art Thou soundtrack oh really yes that's a band I'd like to see the Soggy Bottom Boys from Cottonelia, Mississippi. I hate to break it to you, but that's not George Clooney <laughs> singing those songs. I know, it's Dan Tominski. don't know who that is. That's the guy who sings the songs. Oh, well, <laughs> cool, you know something. <laughs> yeah, I love that movie, <laughs> and it won Album of the Year when it came out. Oh, it's one of my favorite movies, and they they talk, they talk a lot about it in uh, the Dark Tower series. Not that, this, this Man of Constant Sorrow song. Um... 
I don't know who else. Zeppelin. I mean, it's tough now because so many guys like. I mean, sometimes you have to be careful what you wish for. I mean, look at Guns N' Roses mm. or uh, Motley Crue. Well, I was gonna so Motley Crue. Hound and Footycock doing a B. Motley Crue is on my list. Um, but you'd want young because, guys, right? Young Vince. So I want, I want 1984 Motley Crue. I want Too Fast for Love came out in 1981. Shout Out the Devil came out in 1983. Motley Crue, like those two albums are bananas. They are so fucking good. As opposed to and, Vince Neil, who looks like the Bumble. You know, back when they were like, they were all really hot, like really hot. And like, you're just completely obliterating stages while completely obliterated. Yeah. Putting on these fantastic shows, you know, when they were younger and could really hang. I mean, it's sad to say, but excuse me, Nikki Six, you know, the one who died, kickstart my heart and had to be brought back to life by having an adrenaline needle shoved right into his heart because the EMT recognized him as Nikki Six and was a huge Motley Crue fan and f- was like, I am not letting Nick- Nikki Six die on my watch. Like, this is not happening. Yeah. And that's where kickstart my heart came from. Like, literally a song about mm-hmm. ad- ad- adrenaline. Like, he fucking died and almost died several more times. He was such an addict, got his life together, got healthy, and is like the fittest and healthiest one out of all of them. Which is nuts. Like who would have thunk, you know? Yeah, that's crazy. It's yeah, it's crazy. And now he has like you know, a gorgeous new wife. I mean they're not like newlyweds. And he has a new baby and everything like Isn't you know, he like a hundred and four? No. He's like in his, I think, early fifties. How old was he in nineteen eighty four? In nineteen eighty four or nineteen eighty three? Like in his early fifties. No. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say like, cause that's almost forty years ago. Remember? Maybe, maybe he's maybe he's, he's got to be pushing sixty. He was at in least. like I want to say like late teens, really early twenties when Motley Crue came together. Then he's got to be over sixty. Okay, well, he looks good, okay? I don't care if you're in your 60s. I'm just saying. Age ain't nothing. I'm just saying, like, you know. But, like, but here's the thing, though. If you take care of yourself. Which he didn't. But now he does. Like, (laughs) he's been been sober for, I want to say, over a decade. Like, it, 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 you know, he... Good, for, um, good for him. No, I mean like, good that works. For him. It's, but like, I'm just trying to Motley figure Crue, out his age. Yeah, we saw Motley Crue. What was this? five, what? six years ago? A bit ago. No more than the, that. The, this was their their first farewell tour. Last tour ever, 1989. <laughs> um, and like, they were good. They they put on a really good show live. But man, like it, it was nothing in comparison to these old videos of them back in the early eighties, oh, just no. shredding well, it on I mean, stage. Again, it was thirty years later, and you know everybody was all like thirty years of substance abuse. You know, so you know thirty years of the rock star lifestyle. You're lucky you get that long. I mean, like five years. Like some people can't even last that long. Yeah. 
But anyways, so uh, a couple of other ones that are on my list, um, the cranberries. Mm. I never had the, I was a huge fan of them growing up, never had the opportunity to see them. And unfortunately, with the passing of Dolores, like, it's just, it's just not going to happen. Another one is Hole. Oh, yeah. Courtney loves I love Hole. Like, I love, um, grew up loving Nirvana, but I really love Hole. And I love Courtney Love. I don't care what anybody says. And Courtney Love on her own is great, but with the original Hole lineup, like, oh, my God. God, they're so good. Yeah, I'm trying to think who so else. So good. I don't know. I don't know who else that I would want to. I mean, Zeppelin. and you mentioned Michael Jackson, so oh, I'm just yeah. gonna throw Amy Winehouse out there. Mm. Like she's another one. I'm huge fan, and would have absolutely loved to have seen her. Yeah, yeah, she was good. I remember when we first started dating on your dating profile, you had a picture of you dressed as Amy Winehouse. Yeah, I I I was Amy Winehouse for a couple a couple of Halloweens. Mhm. Mhm. I don't know. I can't think of uh, maybe Oingo Boingo if they got back together because I love Danny Elfman. Boingo. Like I was never a big fan, but like you know I'd listen to their music and I'm like, oh, this is pretty good. Um, <laughs> but like they broke up not because of anything. Like they're just you know. This is it for us. The Rolling Stones, I know they're six, seven hundred years old. I don't think they're really broken up, though. Like they No, get but they don't together. do anything. Well, I mean, but like... I know they're 150 years old each. Keith Richards is only alive because of the Jim Henson creature Ke- Ke- workshop. Sleeping like this will add five years to your life. Keith Richards told me that, which is maybe why today Keith cannot be killed by conventional weapons. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's. I think that's a pretty good list, and we want to know what you folks at home uh, think about this. Who are some of the bands that you'd like to see get back together for one reason or another? Electric Mayhem. I mean, ever since Ralph went off on his own to uh, do his solo career, Doctor Teeth has such an ego. He does, and Ralph is just like, "Hey, man, I need to play my piano." And and, and Janice was like, "Um, so hey, guys." I don't like, know what's going on here, but uh, <laughs> I don't. I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not liking the vibes here. I think we should take the band in like a new direction. You know. <laughs> Why is she Canadian? <laughs> I don't know. Ask her. <laughs> Why does she sound like she's from Manitoba? Whoa. Animals from Manitoba. I'm from Saskatoon. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, let us know what you think. And uh, we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we will be uh, discussing Jake and Elwood. So stick around. Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks, too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. Are 
Are you looking to add to your collection of sports memorabilia? Trying to find that grail item to show off to your friends? Do you like to win? Then head on over to the Major Sports Drops group on Facebook. From pucks to jerseys, bats to helmets, Major Sports Drops is your place for sports memorabilia items dropped daily. Signed by today's stars as well as Hall of Famers. Joe Montana, Jerry Rice, Mike Ditka, Barry Sanders, Wade Boggs, Zdeno Chara, Odell Beckham, Lamar Jackson, Frank Thomas, and many more autographs have already been pulled. You can get in on the action for as little as $5 per spot. There are multiple drops each day, with special contests also running at various times each month as well. So join the Major Sports Drops Facebook group and get in on the action today. We got a full tank of gas. Half a pack of cigarettes, it's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. They want $5,000. Guess you really up shit creek. Are you the police? No, ma'am. Or musicians. Don't you guys ever wear blue jeans or jumpsuits like, like Wayne Cochran or C.C. Ryder? We're on a mission from God. Good to see you, sweetheart. He's a pig. How much for the women? <laughs> Catch that sucker. Excuse me. You see two guys coming here, black suits, black hats. Sit them down there. Thank you. That, of course, was the trailer for 1980s. John Landis directed The Blues Brothers. Now, Ashes, this was the first time you've seen this film. It uh, was. What did you think? I thought it was good. What, um, when, I, when I was like, okay, we need to, we need to uh, watch this, what was, your, what was your first thought? Yes, we should watch this. <laughs> <laughs> You're making for some compelling uh, insight into your psyche here. Um, so, like, obviously, I'm aware of the Blues Brothers. I know who they are. I know, I mean, it, it's kind of ingrained into the pop culture zeitgeist at this point. And if you are familiar with SNL at all, you know who the Blues Brothers are. Mm -hmm. Like, they still occasionally like reference them I mean they haven't recently but like they they still in the past will reference them you know this this act that I believe it was only supposed to be one sketch that's as many of them often are yeah I you know mean, it was only supposed to be one sketch and the audience just loved it people ate it up and they said hey this could be a recurring bit and you know, so I was familiar with that. I knew there was a movie uh, starring Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi. I know that there's another film with Dan Aykroyd and John Goodman because Belushi 
passed away, you know, far, again, far, far too young. You know, it's just one of those, one of those things where he was so young, but he abused the shit out of his body. And the whole reason, and it's funny, I was talking to my dad about uh, the Blues Brothers this weekend, and he said the whole reason was he was supposed to be doing a, a Saturday Night Live skit, but he got into some kind of accident and got hurt. And he uh, ended up getting pain medication mm-hmm. for, like, his leg or his knee, whatever he ended up hurting. And it was, you know, a powerful opiate. And they cut him off, and he was still in pain, so he turned to whatever he could mm-hmm. to dull that pain. Like, And it's just – it's the same story that you've heard right, a million say, times. Like, it's, it's quite a uh, – uh, uh, so addicts have similar stories. Yeah, and you know he was able to able to um kind of keep it in check a little bit you know in the f- in that he was able to still have his career still act still I mean he was pretty uh pretty high functioning as yeah. far as his you know addiction and stuff goes like he was able to be an addict and still have you know some people can do that some people can't and i don't want to go you know i don't want to go into that but um because that's not that's not what we're talking about no. uh but yeah i remember like i remember my dad watching this film growing up obviously he was a a fan of pretty much th- that type of humor at that time you know if it was directed by John Landis, if it was starring certain actors, like you knew it was going to be good. Mm-hmm. You know, Dan Aykroyd was one of the it comedians at that time. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean hell, even Jim, Bel- Jim Belushi, John Belushi. Uh, why would you do that? Why would you be like, you're Jim, you're John? Well, it's like George Foreman names all his kid George. But like, yeah, but you could call him, you're like George, George and George. Like, that's easy, but being like, Jim, John, it's like the Kardashians, Chloe and I couldn't tell Carla and Cartman. I, could, I don't know. If you if you lined them all up and were like, which one is which, I'd be like, I don't fucking care. But but anyways, you knew that if certain people were starring certain things or written by certain people or you know, kind of kind of today, you know, it's like, you know, oh, this actor's in it, then it's going to be good. Oh, it's directed by this person, it's written by this person, it's mm-hmm. going to be good. But it was like that in the eighties with comedies. Like if it had certain people in it, and typically those people were SNL alum. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, because if you think about who was on SNL at the time, Martin Short, Steve Martin, Chevy Chase, Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Eddie Murphy, uh, Gilda Radner, Jane Curtin, Dan Aykroyd, uh, like all these, Garrett Morris is another one. Like, uh, I remember they did a, a superhero episode and Belushi was the Hulk and Aykroyd was the Flash and, like, they just threw, like, these cheap, like... Halloween costumes on them and it was like it was so funny because it's just like here's here's Belushi with you know his physique and he's like yeah I'm the Hulk and it was the episode with Margot Kidder and uh, Bill Murray was Superman and he ended up getting drunk because he found out that you know he, he came to the party as Clark Kent and he was like oh yeah uh 
he's like, oh, but you're, you know, um, it's so great you're in, you're engaged to Superman, but like, you know, you're a virgin, right? And she's like, are you kidding? I dated the Hulk for six months, you know. <laughs> <laughs> But kind of like in Trading Places, the chemistry between Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy that was there really drove the movie. And that's the same thing with the Blues Brothers. The The chemistry between Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi is there. And yes. They did. I mean, not only were they in so many SNL skits together because they played off of each other really well, mm-hmm. but they played opposite of each other in quite a few films yeah i mean they uh they were they were um back and forth with each other a lot and it was that that crew was like the spielberg the landis um and then you had like the similar actors over and over again that they worked with uh obviously landis with uh don don dan Aykroyd. um you know it's it's nice to see that these guys, you know, worked consistently together, but that's something that um, that you would see a lot, especially in the 80s. Even now, like, you see, like, a guy like David O. Russell, who did uh, American Hustle. He did, um, what the hell is that other one? The uh, uh, Jennifer Lawrence and, and Bradley Cooper. Like he's an Eagles fan, and they live in Philadelphia. Silver Linings Playbook. Silver Linings Playbook. Yes, yeah. Like that's, like David O. Russell works with the same people over and over again, which is kind of cool. Um, you know, and um, well, I mean Ryan Murphy is the same way. Yeah, I was gonna say um, uh, Christopher Nolan. You know, Tom Hardy, Michael Caine, Leo. Uh, I mean, Tarantino is the same way. Yep. It's kind of like some of these some of these directors. You know, you get on their good side. You you do something that they like. You've got a it's job like a for life. Blanket. Yeah, yeah. Um, this movie did have again a very unfortunate scene of blackface, although it was much faster and not nearly as prominent. But the scene in the church uh, <laughs> with uh, um, James Brown had Al Franken in blackface. But see that so so the difference between this film version of that and the trading places version okay just let me preface this by saying none of it is okay no none of it is okay. but at least in trading places it served a purpose as a disguise right he was trying to hide his identity right it was part i mean granted again like i said not okay but in this, you know, film, it, there, it just served no purpose at all. Yeah, there was no reason for Al there Franken to be in blackface. Absolutely no reason for it. But anyways, this cast is bonkers. Mm-hmm. This cast is crazy. Like I saw people I haven't thought about in years in this film, in bit parts mm-hmm. too. Like big, big names. Granted, some of them at the time weren't as big as they used to be. Like the one that you pointed out to me. Yes. Yeah, Twiggy. You had like, no I- he had no idea who Twiggy was. I had no fucking clue who Twiggy was. I'm like, shut the front door. No, I really I had no idea. He's like, Oh, is that Twiggy? Yes. And then like I was like, but I have no idea. I, like, I don't know who she is, what she was from. Don't worry, kids. He got an education. I did get an education. I did find out about it. But 
Yeah, like the whole thing starts off with we see, and oh, and another recurring character, Frank Oz. Fra- yes, yes. As a cop. Yeah, I was gonna say in a, in a similar esque role as Trading Places. Um, yeah, so I liked it. Which is good because I liked it. It was a lot of fun, which is why I was like, hey. These would be some great characters to cover. Not only because there's a lot of information regarding these characters as far as where they came from and who they are. Now, I mean, this was the only film that featured these two characters. Right. But these care, And this was really the only kind of character story like like character driven this is the only arc that they had they weren't just going out and performing songs that is yes that's a really good way to put like this was the only story arc that they really had right aside from the skits here and there and they were i was i was really surprised to find out that that was really them performing yes and i i had mentioned that to you and i was like yeah this is them like Belushi also on on Saturday Night Live would do an amazing Joe Cocker, um, you know, you are so beautiful, like because Cocker does all these like weird facial expressions, like as he's singing and like pouring all the 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 pain and emotion into his into his music. He looks like he's been like constipated, but got kicked in the face by a gazelle. Like it's <laughs> like his facial <laughs> expressions and everything, and Belushi did such an amazing job. Like I'll have to show you the clip, and if you guys get a chance, look it up uh, because him as Joe Cocker is one of the funniest. But he has an amazing voice. Like he could sing. He did a great job, and both him and Aykroyd performing these, like. And everybody in the band, like, those are real musicians. Like, David Dunn, I think was his name. Yeah, um, no, I'm sorry. I was thinking Donald Duck Dunn, the guy with the pipe. Uh, no, uh, Copper. Scott Copper, I think is his name. The guy with the long uh, shoulder-length hair and the full beard. Mm-hmm. He appeared on 36 different film soundtracks. Wow. Like, these guys were all professional musicians. Cab Calloway, like, I recognized him when I first watched this from his appearances on Sesame Street. You know, obviously Ray Charles, Aretha Franklin, James Brown. Even Shaka Khan was in this in, like, a bit role. Super bit part. Like, just like... You blink and you miss her. Yeah, member of the chorus. John Lee Hooker sitting outside the Soul Food restaurant. Uh, at the beginning, like, <sighs> I will say the funniest part though has to be Ray Charles hanging up the poster upside down. Oh my god! Especially after he shoots at the kid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh god! Yeah, like, yeah, um, yeah. We we do have some songs from the from the show uh, from the film coming up. Uh, some of the soundtrack stuff. Um, you know, in between breaks and at the end of the show, but... But when we're first introduced to these two characters in the film setting, Elwood is meeting Jake outside 
of the prison where he has been held for three years and he is out on parole. Mm-hmm. Which means he's supposed no, to be No, he's out on, good behavior. It, well, yeah. Well, yeah, but he's out on parole, which means that he needs to be on his best behavior because he doesn't want to live narrow. back in the big house. Juliet. Uh, yeah, and we get to see some of the uh, the beginnings of like how the humor of this film is going to go. And I will say that if this movie were to be made now, there would be a lot more dick and fart jokes. However, Landis doesn't do that. I mean, it would be easy to take somebody like, you know, John Belushi and, you know, turn him into like a walking, you know, like a, a, a Shrek type uh, comedic style. But how do I put this? He was too classy for that. Like, John Belushi was too... Like, there's not a lot of, like, burping and farting. Like, there's really none in his movies. Like, that's not what he does. So, there's this thing about some of the comedy in the 80s that it's not... um, A lot of it is set up. Mm Mm-hmm. So, it's it's not easy comedy. No, and it's not going for a cheap laugh. It's it's really being smart about utilizing your talent and utilizing the area around you and planting certain things to, you know, like something happens and you see something and then it comes back later on and it's funny because you're now in on the joke. Or the way that certain characters react to certain things. Like, nothing gets Jake or Elwood all around. Like, the scene where where Carrie Fisher shows up and blows up the propane tank. Carrie Fisher's trying to murder them. Over and over. Like, and they, the the phone booth that they're in shoots into the air, lands on the ground, and smashes. And Elwood goes, there's got to be $7 in change here. (laughs) They just swipe up the corners. Now, side note. I fucking love Carrie Fisher in this. She's so good. You have no idea who she is or what her motivation is. Why the fuck is she trying to kill them until the very end of the film? And and you're like, oh, good for her. And it's not just (laughs) like she shows up and tries to kill them. Like the first time you see her, she's firing a fucking rocket launcher at them. And she fails. And then, then she you, blows up the building. Her, yeah, and, and fails. Next time you see her, she is reading a flamethrower manual mm-hmm. in her salon, Curl Up and Die, which is like the best name for a salon ever. Like, I fucking loved her. In yeah, this. oh, she, she was, was so she good. She was amazing. She and was I thought so she was uh, that, that addition to just like that, that character that's just adding this extra level of. of Peril that uh, these characters are involved in. That they, I mean. So basically, talk about two dudes who take everything with a grain of salt. Like nothing really. Bothers yeah, nothing them. phases the them. The only thing that bothered them was the reason why they were putting the band back together to begin with. Right. We see them. The first thing they do when they get out is they go and they go to visit Sister Mary Stigmata. At the orphanage where they worked, or where they grew up, not where they worked. And, you know, 
we find out that Jake had promised they call her the penguin because she's a nun and kind of looks like a penguin. The black and white thing. Yeah. yeah. And they're like, he's like, oh, well, we have to go. And you said you'd come visit her the day you got out. He's like, so I lied. And Hellwood's like, you can't lie to one nun. And so they go up to see her. And, like, all the doors keep opening and closing, like, really creepily. And, um, you know, she tells them that they're 5000 They need $5,000 or else uh, the building's getting sold and all the kids are getting kicked out. And their mentor, Cab Calloway, is going to get tossed out onto the streets. And they're like, well, we got to figure out how that doesn't – we have to make sure that doesn't happen. But uh, Sister Mary is like, I don't want your dirty, you know – stolen money and so they have to figure out a way to get on the clean path the straight and narrow and um, get the $5,000 they have 11 days hence they're on a mission from God we're on a mission from God and it's the way that they deliver some of the lines so as they're going through the first thing that happens is Elwood runs away from the cops leads them on this ridiculous chase through a mall the mall was scheduled to be demolished anyways so they were just like yeah it's okay if you drive through and destroy it but like they're driving through the mall and getting like you know there's half a dozen police cars chasing them and they're just like commenting on the stores like oh this mall has everything. Like <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> like the comedic timing of the two of them, and the way they deliver the lines, over and over again. So they have to go back to each place and, and you know, convince their band members to join back up. And they all know that Jake. But Joliet, that's not even the best Jake, part. No, go ahead. Dan Aykroyd's apartment. Oh. How often does that train go by? So often you won't even notice. You got my cheese whiz, boy? That <laughs> scene was so random, but it was so perfect. It was funny. And it's funny. When we I posted on Facebook that we were watching this, my brother Dave, who you can see every Friday on the Loudest Sports Show, uh, he that's exactly what he posted. He's like, you got my cheese whiz, boy? And that was right when we watched that part. So I showed her the, the post, and she thought it was very funny because it's just like... It's such a random line. And Dan Aykroyd's like, yeah, here you go. It's like, wait, where was that the whole time? Like, where did you have this? In just a bag of holding? Like, Sometimes sometimes it's just best to not, not, not ask, ask questions. Yeah. And so Dan Aykroyd's like, oh, I'm going to make some dinner. And he was just making a single piece of white toast. Dry white toast. That's what he wants. Dry white toast. It's uh, It's nuts. Now... They're trying to get their band back together, and like the band broke up three years ago, and most of the guys are on the straight and narrow. And we do get to see a very young, I think this might be his first film, as a waiter, a young Paul Rubens, uh, which I was like, oh, you got to wait, watch this, wait till you see who the waiter is. And you saw him, and you're like, holy shit. I was like, wow, is that the guy from Mystery Men? Yeah. Oh, isn't that the guy from from uh, Nightmare Before Christmas? Um, so anyways, that scene is amazing because it shows how uncouth those guys are. Mm-hmm. And 
even before they did anything, you know, we talked about this with another John Landis movie last week, the disparity between the way people of the upper class look at the people of the lower class. It's like, oh, these men are offensive. Well, did they do anything? Well, no, but they're offensive. Like, you know, the the guy was just such a jerk. Like, they were just sitting next to them, did nothing yet. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, obviously Jake heard them, so Jake turns around and he's like, how much for your wife? <laughs> <laughs> your daughter, sell them to me. Like, it was amazing. <laughs> Because he was trying to get his friend to leave because they needed a horn player. Like, the band is excellent. Like The band is huge. There's... There's a lot... There's several. Several members like of this band. ten guys in the a band. Lot of, a lot of horn blowers. Yes. A couple of guitars. Man, can bass. those men blow. Yeah. There's a lot of... Uh, there's, there's... It's like the entire Brian Seltzer orchestra. Or Seltzer. I uh, know. I'm pretty sure it's Seltzer. Yeah. That's what Homer said. Setzer. That's what Homer said directly to him. Excuse me, Mr. Seltzer. Uh, it's Setzer. Uh, no, I'm pretty sure it's Seltzer. <laughs> I hope you won't judge the entire Brian Setzer Orchestra on my behavior. But no, they, they have to get all these guys together, and every time they go somewhere, it's like this brilliant musical number, and it's so awesome. Like, we get a, a song from Aretha Franklin, a song from Ray Charles. Well, I mean, like, first we get the song from James Brown. Right, but they, they were just going to the church because they were told, go to this church right. and you'll have yeah, an epiphany. Yeah, we get the, the song from uh, Aretha Franklin. So her husband is a former member of the band working at this diner. Matt Guitar Murphy. And she's like, don't you go with those boys. Yeah, and he's he's a huge dude. He kind of looks like um, he could have passed for uh, uh, Carl Weathers' stunt double in Rocky. He's that big. Like, he was a big, big dude. He he did kind of look like they could be related. Like, he had, uh, uh, like, a, that's who I thought he looked like. I was like, man, he kind of looks like they could be cousins or something. Like there's a family resemblance. You better think about it. Oh, yeah. And that's probably my favorite song from the soundtrack because I love Aretha's voice. Oh, God. And her attitude in that scene is just fantastic. Like yeah. she really, even though it's a bit part, like some of these bit parts really just add some nice flavor to this film. And, you know, granted, I'm sure it would have been a great film without it. And... The funny thing is, apparently, like, the production company wanted John Landis to get, like, newer names for the time. Yeah. And and everyone was just kind of like, no, no, it has to be these people. It had to be those guys because it has to be somebody who was, like, entrenched in the scene. Mm-hmm. Like, Ray Charles ran the pawn shop where they got all their equipment. And, you know, Aretha Franklin, you know, owns a soul food restaurant. IOU. Yeah. He's like, we'll take all of it. Yeah. And as usual, I'll take an IOU. <laughs> but he did get his money. Yes, he, he did. He did get his money at the end of the yes. at the end of the movie. Because, um, like, they know the guys, they're friends. 
But, like, it, it was a great setup. I was like, oh, there's no action left in these piano keys. He goes, Psh, no action. And he hops on and just starts playing. And everybody else is playing. And, like, the people outside are dancing. Like, I will say about half of this movie is musical numbers. Mm. Uh, but, like, so, really well-placed musical numbers. Like, it doesn't seem hokey or cheesy. It kind of... No, it all it just drives kinda, like, the plot. Yeah, it melts into each there other. There is a reason for every single one. It's not just, oh, we're playing the song. Like, when they play for the first time at the Redneck Bar. Oh, my God. See, as they're going along, every every step of the way, they make more and more enemies. So it's becoming more they and more difficult. Friends. So they have... Uh, See this first one, I—it's I, their own fault. Uh, the good old boys when the, uh, at at the the redneck bar, um, they play an entire set, and people like the bar is closing up, and people are leaving, and then the good old boys show up at like two in the morning. It's like. Wait a minute. It's like it's you like, guys where, are where were you guys? Yeah, like this is your own goddamn fault. How are you pissed off at me? Like you didn't show up for your own gig. You showed up when the place is closing down. But I will say that the the gig setup that they did was pretty freaking good. Rawhide and and well they started off with Gimme Some Lovin' and the redneck people lost their mind like what is this? This ain't Hank Williams. Yes. <laughs> So they're like, oh shit! And now they're they're behind uh, chicken wire, which is because all the patrons of the bar will throw their glasses and their beer bottles at the band. And I didn't find anything on this. Uh, I don't know if you did, but I don't know how realistic that was because Dan Aykroyd and some of the guys in the band were definitely ducking and dodging and turning their heads away from shattering glass. Yeah, I couldn't find anything about that. But I feel like that was probably, I mean, like, it looked really real. Even if it was, like, you know, breakaway bottles and stuff, like... It's still glass. It's still coming at you, even if even if it's not glass, even if it's, like, plastic or something, but still. Yeah, it's it was uh, definitely a safety thing. But they play a bunch of songs, the, the crowd likes them, and they've made some money, $200! But they drank $300 worth of beer. So now they got to go figure out how they're going to pay for it. And as they usually do, they just take off. But they ran into the good old boys, led by Charles Napier, who 11 years later would be killed by Hannibal Lecter. Um, and actually, a few years after that, he would, uh, well, a few years after this movie, he would, uh, he would play Murdoch in Rambo 2, or First Blood Part 2. So, everybody's pissed at them, and they happen to drive by the cops that they led on the chase, and they're like, holy shit, we don't believe it, let's go get them. And they tried to pull out and get them, but they crashed into the RV that the good old boys were driving. So, once again, the Blues Brothers escape unscathed. So, this whole time, all they're trying to do... You is know, redeem themselves. Pr- yeah, but they're pretty lucky. They too. are incredibly. There is some skill involved. The, the, I mean, there there is. Elwood you, is you an amazing tell, getaway driver. Yeah, you can tell that they've been in some of these situations before. This is this ain't their first rodeo, but like if it, it's it's probably equal parts talent and luck at this point. Well, yeah, I mean, then that's that's what it is with every. I mean, watch anything. You know any you know sporting event? It's luck and talent. You know, like that's that's just the way it is. Now, they are driving, 
a police car. And the reason they are driving a police car is that, you know, and, and Jake asks this of Elwood when they first meet up. He's like, I've been in the joint for three years and you pick me up in a police car? He goes, yeah, I got it at an auction. They were practically giving them away. He goes, what happened to the caddy? The Cadillac, the, the, the bluesmobile. He goes, traded it for a microphone. Jake's like, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, I still, like, he's like, what's the matter? You don't like it? He goes, no, I don't like it. And he's like, oh, it's, you know, cop tires, cop suspension, cop motor, cop brakes, all this. And he's like, he's like, yeah, I still don't like it. And so they're waiting at a bridge, one of those uh, bridges in Chicago that lift up so that the boats can pass underneath of them. And so Elwood stomps on the gas, goes around the cars in front of him, and leaps across the bridge and lands. And he goes, you know, like, he's like, yeah. And then Jake goes, car's got some nice pickup. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, that's the type of humor you see throughout this entire film. It's always just like, oh, yeah, that's that's pretty nice. Like it just like a, a casual observation after something fucking ridiculous just happened. A lot of space in this mall, you know. Like yeah. <laughs> there's half a dozen police cars crashing through Cadillac or Oldsmobile dealerships, and like all these other things are getting destroyed all around them. And you know, they're driving. Through. This mall has everything. There's a lot of room in this mall. Like it's just these great one-liners. Uh, based on the situation at hand. So these guys are, they've they've all spent time in jail, Jake, Elwood. They've both spent time in jail uh, for various things. Usually not anything like, it's not something bad that they did, but, I mean, bad enough it's to get them to put good. into prison. No, but I mean, like, you find out that Jake was in prison because he held up a convenience store so he could get money to pay his debt to the band, you know, and, you know, because he owed them some money. Because that's the first thing that they saw, you know, Murph and the Magic Tones. Um, he's, they're doing the right thing, and they're trying to do it the right way, even though that's way more difficult for them. Like, for them, because he, you know, Jake says to the Penguin at the beginning, he's like... We'll have that money for you tomorrow. And she's like, I don't want your, your stolen money. Like, don't come back until, you know, as you hear in the, the trailer, don't come back, you know, unless you're coming back the right way. So they're able to to, to obtain all of their band members mm-hmm. through one way or another. One deceptive trick. And they they succeed they get the band back together but now they need to come up with the money well they need to they, yeah so they need to book a gig right and that's the difficult part and Jake blackmails someone in order to get their gig so they book this huge space they sell out the band is there because they've been go- they've been driving around all day you know, with a giant megaphone on their on their uh, the hood of their car, just telling people about the Blues Brothers Rhythm and Blues Review. Right, because they were really afraid that they wouldn't be able to pack this auditorium. Really, it was two bucks a ticket. You know, to get the money that they needed to save the orphanage. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, he was even going to, you know, they didn't know that Jake was going to give their cut to the orphanage. You know, and that's how Cab Calloway kind of, you know, broke it to the band. It's like, yeah, that's what they're doing. But the place that they were going holds 5,000 people. They were charging $2 a ticket, so they'd have been fine. You know? But they also didn't think that they would be able to pack the place. Right. They were really worried about that. And they said, you know, they even said, that, like, there's no way we can we can sell this out. But they did. And, you know, Jake and Elwood still weren't there. They were waiting for him. Like, where are they? Like, what's what's holding them up? Why aren't they here yet? And it turns out they ran out of gas. And Dan Aykroyd hits on Twiggy. And... You know, she's like, oh, yeah, you know, fill up my gas tank and do this, thinking that he worked at the gas station. And she's like, how much do I owe? He's like, uh, $94. And she's like, oh, here you go. Here's 95 <laughs> It's like. Um, and like he, hey, if your date doesn't work out, meet me at the hotel yeah, at midnight. Yeah, down the street at midnight. <laughs> um, and they're able to get. But they have to go through a lot, so they're trying to get to... All the cops know where they are. Right. Well, and that's the thing. The cops are following them. The good old boys are following them. The Illinois Nazis are following them. Yeah, the Illinois Nazis were having a rally on a bridge, and they were like, fucking hate Illinois Nazis. And they drove around all the traffic and at them and forced them to all jump off the, the bridge. And they're like, oh, it's okay. You know, we tracked their license plate. We know where they are. And... The, the car is registered to Wrigley Field. Yeah, that's what the address on, on Elwood's license is, 1060 mm-hmm. West Addison, which is Wrigley Field. So they all show up there, and it's amazing. So this last, this last you know, thing, there's hundreds of cops waiting for them. And, you know, it's nice because John Candy is like, you know, we got the place surrounded. I never heard these guys play. Let's just let's just let them play. Let's see if they're any good. Like, let's enjoy a show. Like, this you is so nice. Whip? Orange, orange whip? Or orange whip? Three orange three whips. Orange whips. Three orange whips. Like, it's just... <laughs> and they're all sitting there like... Oh, like, like okay, you know, we've got them surrounded. They're not going anywhere. This is... It's, it's fine. Let's... And Cab Calloway comes out and sings Minnie the Moocher, uh, which is amazing. Um... It's so cool because it gets the audience participation. Well, I mean, it's a really good opening act when you think about it. It's mm-hmm. kind of what you want your opener to be. Get the audience all warmed up, ready to go. They want, you know, they're entertained and they're ready for the the, the headliner, the main show. Like, he was the perfect opening act. And, like, somehow... When the music started, everybody was wearing different clothes, oh, different outfits. Oh, yeah, there outfit, were these the great big band set up with white suits. Yeah, he's got a white tux on. And, yeah. And he uh, you know, he does his song. Meanwhile, Jake and Elwood are, are still you know, making their way. Like They've hidden the car, and they're making their way on foot. And they're setting up... Kind of like uh, setting up traps. Yeah, like... On the way. They find the good old boy's RV, a new one, because the old one got destroyed in the collision with the cops, and he sprays, like, this marine epoxy on the 
gas pedal and the floor underneath the gas pedal. So when the guy steps on the gas, it's going to stick not only to his foot but to the floor. And, like, they're going to continue accelerating with no way to stop. And then he has a couple of cans that he took from his job. And when he quit his job, he said, he's like, I have to quit because I'm going to become a priest. But he he had taken these two cans. You have no idea what's in the cans. I always assumed it was more Cheese Whiz, and that's where he got the Cheese Whiz. But it was like, I forget what he said it was, but it was a very long, complicated, gaseous mix. And he pumped it into all the tires, uh, or several of the tires of the police cars, so that when it heats up, it would explode, so the tires would blow out. Mm-hmm. And so they have all this stuff set up so they can get away. But they come out. And they do Sweet Home Chicago. They acknowledge all the members of uh, of Chicago's law enforcement community in the audience. And they just play an amazing song. Like Elwood has a, a briefcase handcuffed to his arm, and it turns out it just has his harmonica in it. <laughs> <laughs> and like they're they're doing their thing and they're like oh we got to figure out how to get out of here with all these cops and this guy shows up and they're like oh great did we piss off the mafia too <laughs> but it turns out he's a producer and he wants to give them ten thousand dollars cash as a, a like a retainer and he's like okay so they take five grand and he says uh jake says uh take 1400 give it to uh i almost called him ray lewis ray charles and then give the rest to the band. And they took the five grand so they could get it to the Cook County Assessor's Office at 8 a.m. So they're able to escape through like a little electrical hatch behind the drummer. But everybody's rocking out, having a good time. And the police don't realize that Jake and Elwood are gone for, I don't know, a couple of minutes. All of a sudden they're like... Hey, where'd they go? Like, what's going up? Because everyone was enjoying the show because it was such a good show. Everyone was having a great time. And so they're they're heading back to their car. They're walking through the sewers and everything or the underground drainage tunnels, whatever it is. And here's Carrie Fisher with the aim of a stormtrooper. Shows up with an AR-15. and She just learned starts, from the best. Yeah. And just starts firing everywhere it's like how do you miss them you have it's open they're not they're hiding behind their fucking briefcase like laying on the ground with their hands over their heads yeah and she even on the ground she couldn't she couldn't get them um but yeah, tell 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 why you who she is. Find out who. Well, you don't find out her name or anything, but you find out who she is and why she is so determined to murder Jake Blues and his brother Elwood. So come to find out, at some point, Jake Blues was engaged to be married. To Carrie Fisher and the wedding was planned the wedding day had come they invited all these guests they spent all this money she wore a white dress and he didn't show up and he just started rattling up the car and ran out of gas and she was pissed I stayed celibate for you 
He's like, it's not my fault. The car ran out of gas. I had a flat tire. And he's just like rattling off all these excuses. And then, and then, because the Blues Brother tire goes as such, black suit, black tie, white shirt, black shoes, black belt, black, belt, black sunglasses, black hat. Even when in a sauna, a blues brother does not remove his sunglasses nor his hat. Correct. This is the only time in the film that we see a blues brother remove his sunglasses. And it's to give the puppy dog eyes, hardcore puppy dog eyes to Carrie Fisher. Oh, Jake. Baby, you know I love you. Oh, and fun fact, apparently John Belushi went through a hundred pairs of those goddamn sunglasses because he kept losing them. They started calling him a black hole on set. They also called him other things, too. Um, Dan Aykroyd started referring to him as, as America's guest because he would just disappear at night while filming on the streets of Chicago. And they would have to go around to the neighbors to see whose house he ended up at because he would just invite himself over to the neighbor's house and hang out with them, party with them. That, you know. That's... Oh, and, and uh, while... You know, high on cocaine, of course. Yeah, and you uh, found an interesting uh, fact about the uh, budget for the film. So they uh, well surpassed the budget of the film, the original budget of the film, because they had to factor in a cocaine budget. Yeah. A drug uh, budget for the, especially for the night shoots. Yeah, it's. because of Belushi's drug usage, it was that bad. I mean, not just his, you know, other people on the set. Were oh, yeah, doing it such, was the 80s. But, I, right? Like, the 80s just went right up your nose. Um, but, like, his usage was so bad, they had to factor it into the budget. Yeah, and... Which, you know, that's, he's not the only one. Like, I believe there was a... a no, but there, that's Richard a, Pryor had to have the same type of thing. That was a thing, like, back then. You yeah. know, that was a thing. You know, there were uh, some musical acts that had it in their writer. You yeah. know, I would like to be greeted with a dozen long stem roses, a case of water, and, you know, X amount of cocaine. <laughs> you know? it's, yeah. Yeah, it's... Um gray M&M's like I don't know <laughs> 10,000 brown M&M's to fill a brandy glass or else Ozzy wouldn't go on stage um, but yeah he after she's just oh Jake he picks her up and he kisses her and he drops her in the mud and and they just book it she's kind of like a turtle on her back like ah and she's just like Dak Roy just kind of looks at her and like doesn't know what to say he's just, just like, like take sorry. care <laughs> take care and leaves so they get in the car, and then you have that famous, it's 106 miles to Chicago. We have half. We have a full tank of gas, half a, ta- half a tank of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. And then Belushi's just like, hit it. And this culminates in one of the uh, um, 
one of the the cats yelling at us. Sorry. Um, culminates in one of the greatest car chase scenes, often uh, parodied it and imitated. Why is the hold on? I have I have something somewhere. Um, a world record: a hundred and three cars were wrecked during filming. The junk man from 1982 broke the record two years later, wrecking 150 cars in a plane. That record held for two decades until over 300 cars were wrecked during the filming of The Matrix Reloaded in 2003. Which, that was 103 an cars. This wasn't even an action film. No. It was this- a comedy. And most of them were police. I'm using quotations. Police cars. The cars painted to look like police vehicles. Yeah, it's um, it's it's insane because like it's got two of my favorite chase scenes. You know that matrix scene, that matrix scene is amazing. But like they built a two mile stretch of road in order to do the stunts that they did. Oh no, this they, was they just, in they, Chicago. Yeah, they they blocked off a main road in Chicago for a couple hours. Yeah, like they were wrecking Chicago. They um, had to dig a hole because they couldn't get the cars to fly the way that they wanted to when they were crashing into each other. So they dug a hole in the ground that the cars would hit and thus fly automatically. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, they, they weren't did. getting the desired like reaction that they wanted. Right. Right. It's um And meanwhile, Elwood is able to just maneuver in and out of these cars, you know, weave through the streets of Chicago like it's no big deal. Yeah, like at 118 miles an hour. Didn't hit a goddamn thing. Was perfectly fine. Yeah, like it's um that's that's what we were talking about. Like, where Jake and uh, uh, Elwood being one of the uh, one of the great getaway drivers of all time. However, it really didn't matter how great of a getaway driver he was, because ultimately they were caught. Right, but they succeeded in their mission. They did, yes. And the uh, the. Um, the uh, Cook County uh, clerk in the assessor's office was played by fucking Steven Spielberg. Like, it's hard to tell that it's him because he's got, like, this weird mustache. But, like, they're able to just, just ahead of everyone. And you see, as soon as they get out of the car and they close the door, all the pieces fall apart, which is amazing. <laughs> um and they just kind of look at it like, oh, like it lasted exactly as long as we needed it to, uh, which again is just another brilliant piece of comedy. Right, it just fucking falls apart. Like I've never seen a car fall apart like that. It was brilliant. Yeah, and so they finally get up to where they need to get. They give him the money. He counts the money, and it's like received. And they save the orphanage, and then they get arrested. What I don't understand, and maybe they weren't all prisoners, but like we get to see at the end, they're playing. The the band is back together in prison, playing uh, Jailhouse Rock, which so appropriate because it's a blues song, and uh, and um, you know they're in prison, like. 
it just happened to work out that way. Um, I figured they'd either do that or like, oh, maybe it hadn't come out yet, but Folsom County Blues. I don't know if that, I don't know when that happened. When the Johnny Cash song. Yeah, I know. That was like the 60s. Was it? I don't know. I don't. Johnny Cash had a, he was on The Simpsons in the 90s, okay? I don't know Actually, how long. Actually, Folsom may have happened before then. I, I, I. Well, I don't know, but Jailhouse Rock it was It happened a, way before the 80s. Okay, well. So did Jailhouse Rock. Well, Jailhouse Rock has more of like that rock and blues aspect to it versus Folsom Prison <laughs> is just more country. It reminds me of another great line when they go to the Redneck Bar like, and Elwood goes, what kind of music do you play here? Oh, both kinds, country and western. Although their cover of Stand By Your Man. Oh, that was so good. was actually really good. Yeah, they did a great job on that one. Um but yeah, they they did what they set out to do. They accomplished their mission. They saved the orphanage. They saved the kids. They saved because the kids even helped out, helped run around, go and uh, putting up yeah, signs, they were, recruiting they were, people, yep, plastering the town with posters. Yeah, they did a great job. And you know, these guys are you know while they're criminals, they're very wholesome characters. They're criminals with a heart of gold. Right, like the the you know last week the hooker with the heart of gold, you know uh, Ophelia. But I I really liked watching this. Like, this is a movie that you could watch over and over and over again. Uh, it's highly quotable. There's amazing characters. Jake and Elwood are just played to perfection. I have not seen Blues Brothers 2000 because there's... I feel <sighs> like there's really no way you could recreate the magic that these two had together. And I understand that they were trying to capitalize on the whole 2000 thing that was going on back in the the late 90s, early 2000. Um, but I just, I, I feel like when I think of the Blues Brothers, I think of Aykroyd and Belushi. I don't think of Aykroyd and, and Goodman, you know? And I just, there are times when you just really can't recreate the magic of something. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's you know, definitely one had of them. It, now, had it been the two of them reprising their roles, that would have been one thing. But because that because they weren't able to do that. Yeah, because they also, from I, what I understand, they ad- they added like a kid into it. Like, oh, I'm a why? kid. Why don't don't never add a kid to anything? Yeah, especially something like, like just this. Don't. Odds are, kids aren't gonna save it. Like, it's just no, no, just don't do it. Um. But anyways, yeah, I really liked it. I'm glad I watched it. Uh, reminded me a lot of my dad, just the kind of humor and stuff, which I liked. And I will definitely watch it again. Yeah, it was a really good film. So um, I think that's a good place to uh, kind of stop, take a break. Uh, when we come back, we have some battle results. We have new battle. We have uh, a lot of fun stuff for you. So Stick around, kids. We'll be right back. Hey, what's going on? I'm Steven. And I'm Ron. And we're the hosts of the Super Retro Throwback Reviews audio podcast. If you like to hear the latest pop culture news with some smart-ass commentary as well as the latest movie reviews, then check us out. Also, we're a multi-award-nominated podcast, so we're doing something right. God knows how that happened. So check us out on all major podcasts and distributors, and check out Super Retro Throwback Reviews on all social media platforms. (laughs) 
Greetings! We are the Retro Reductopus Cephala Podcast, the bi-weekly show that celebrates all the things that made growing up awesome. He's right. We wax philosophic about lots of geeky crap like old video games and movies, toys, cartoons, I don't know, help me out here. Music. Pants. Quoting video games that don't have dialogues. Shabibers. Tasty news. Unnecessarily long Japanese onomatopoeia. Butt breathers. Uncomfortable nature facts. Or how to install a samoplange. And unlike all those other podcasts, we at Retroidocubus have an exciting rotating host schedule. Do we? We sure do. So, if you didn't like the guy flapping his gums this week, like me, worry not, gentle listener. Next week, we'll have a whole new host. Of problems. Hey, they might still suck, but they'll suck differently. And you know what's really cool? Retroidocubus is part of the Dorkening and Inebriar Podcast Networks with new episodes every technical Tuesday. Which is like every other Tuesday. We named it. Anyways, you can listen to us at iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or any podcast player cool enough to carry the only show that celebrates all things that make growing up awesome. That, of course, was uh, Rawhide, uh, which, you know, was one of the better performances. And they actually encored with that at the uh, at the Redneck Bar. Well, what was so funny about that is, is you know, obviously, Aykroyd does a really good performance. And Belushi plays it as he's just so pissed off and just over it. Yeah. Which really adds to the humor of the scene, to be honest with you. And then he grabs the bullwhip. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have battle results, do we not? Yes, so we have some battle results from a couple of weeks ago. 
During our Orange Years uh, discussion, we mm-hmm. threw down Neurotic for Nicktoons. Which Nicktoon reigns supreme above all other Nicktoons? Akka, which is your favorite? It was an open-ended poll. Mm-hmm. So people had the opportunity to add their own favorite. You know, if they didn't see it on the list, they could add their own. So based on the results from Facebook and the Twitters, Ren and Stimpy is your favorite Nicktoon. Yep, that's what I voted for. Followed by SpongeBob. Yep, I figured that was going to be close. Followed by Rocco's Modern Life. Ooh, good call. Uh, and followed in a tie, uh, Cat Dog. Hmm. Invader Zim, which I completely forgot about, and the Fairly Odd Parents. Dave loves that show. He used to watch that all the time. That was uh, one of his favorites. Wands and wings, yellow crowny things. But odd parents, fairly odd parents. I do, uh, I do uh, like the fact that Ren and Stimpy won because that's the one that I chose. Uh, what did you go with, SpongeBob? SpongeBob. Ah. And Tom Kenny does do uh, one of the uh, intros for our video stuff. I'm SpongeBob. So. My friend is a starfish. That's the worst. SpongeBob. I have a snail named Gary. Well, we're gonna move on because we have a new battle. We do. And when we have a new battle, <gasps> we gotta play the battle theme. All right, so what's the battle this week there, Ashes? In honor of our discussion for today, we are throwing down Survival of the Spinoff. Which SNL spinoff outspinoffs all of the other spinoffs? So, which S- SNL spinoff film is your favorite? Mm-hmm. So you can choose from The Blues Brothers, Wayne's World, Coneheads, or Night at the Roxbury. Yeah, for- unfortunately, <laughs> uh, Superstar did not make it because. Uh, yeah, it's. I mean, if it's your favorite and you want to write it in, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, you know, if your favorite isn't listed above, you can always put it in the comments. That's true. You can vote for one and then say, hey, honorable mention X. That's right. Yeah, because we like to uh, encourage uh, audience, audience participation. participation. Yes. So we hope you enjoyed this uh, this episode. We have some fun announcements coming next week. Uh, I didn't have a chance to put it together for this week's show, but we'll be uh, putting something together for next week. And uh, we've got some good stuff coming up. We do. Ashes, what do we got? So next week, we're going to be talking about a character that ties in from a very (gasps) intense taking that is am i am i undertaking i undertook a really big undertaking the beginning of this year april 11 years ago in april right and um so in 
case you didn't know, back in April, in honor of Patsy's birthday, I did something that he has been wanting me to do for a long time. No, not that. <laughs> yeah, no. That that that's for your next birthday. Oh, I will be forty. Maybe. Um but no, I sat down and I watched the Lord of the Rings trilogy extended. for the first time and it just happened to be the extended versions. And I live tweeted my adventure in the Shire. And it was good. I liked it. I had fun with it. This weekend, I am delving into, diving into the Hobbit trilogy. Yes. And next week, and I will also be live tweeting, so stay tuned for a schedule for that. What's what's the uh, hashtag you want to use? I will find that (laughs) Hobbit and Hooch. Oh, (laughs) I'm going on an adventure. That's lame. Well, that's what Bilbo says. Apothic and adventure. Oh, apothic adventure. I'll come up with a hashtag, but stay on the, you know, look at the uh, Facebook page, Twitters, uh, Instagram. I'll let you know. I'll come up with a fun hashtag. I just decided this like five minutes ago. So well, it was a little while ago. Like five minutes ago. Yes. So um, that's what we're doing. We're going to be talking about The Hobbit. And the guy who plays the hob- Bilbo Mark. Baggins. Well, we're talking about he doesn't play the Hobbit. Bilbo. He is no, the Hobbit. No, but he is the Hobbit. We're talking about <laughs> the Bilbo Baggins guy. Martin Freeman. Martin Freeman. He's a guy who does stuff. He's one of the Tolkien white guys from yes. Black Panther. Yes. Um, and I, there's dragons. It's like Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones, gold and dragons. So, yeah, so I will be uh, live tweeting my viewing of the extended versions of The Hobbits this weekend. And then tune in to next week's episode of Throwdown Thursday, where we will talk about Bilbo Baggins, The Hobbitses, and I will talk about my adventures in the Shire. Yes. And then uh, we've got some other stuff coming up, but we'll let you know what that is next week. But we do mark it on your calendars, mm-hmm. December thirty first, New Year's Eve. Yes, on a Thursday. Mm-hmm. We might be bringing to you something a little special. Something very special for uh, this year's end of year celebration. So be on the lookout for announcements regarding that as yes. well. So if you don't have any plans. You keep will. it that way. And you will. Keep your calendar open. Pencil me in, goddammit. So I think with that being said, we, we will see you next Thursday. Thursday.